chapter 18. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 20. I don't know if we'll cover the whole passage, but that's what we're going to start out with. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses. For offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offense comes. If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off. And cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life lame or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into the everlasting fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? And if he should find it, assuredly, I say to you, he rejoices more in that, over that sheep than over the ninety-nine that did not go astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should pray perish. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. But if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven." For where two or three are gathered together in my name, 
I am there in the midst of them. They came to him and asked, who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And I will dare say that his answer shocked them. Shocked them for more than one reason. It wasn't the expectation. The answer was not according to their probable expectation. But honestly, being fair to these fellows, put yourself in their place. You're a fisherman. You're a regular blue-collar worker type guy. And God the Son... The, at the second person of the Trinity, the one who was the one recorded in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was a ruin and a desolation without form and void. And God said, and God said, and God said, and God said, and God said. He stepped into a realm that had just been judged. You want to know what that judgment was? Go to Ezekiel 28. Satan and his minions, a third of the angelic host, had been cast down to the earth, which had been an angelic resort. And they were cast down, and it was turned into a ball of dirt, covered with water, covered with darkness. And so God the Son stepped out and spoke and spoke and spoke and spoke and said and said and restored it to a paradise. And then made the last act was making a man out of the dirt. Adam means, literally is Hebrew for dusty. Dirt. (laughs) Made Adam. And out of his side drew his rib and made Eve. They are one creation, and that is extremely important. They are one creation. And gave them dominion. Well, why do I say with such confidence that it was God the Son, the second person in the Trinity that did that? Because John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, hmm, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning. John 1-1, in the beginning, was the word, the logos, the speaker. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God in a face-to-face relationship with God, God the Father, God the Son, in a face-to-face relationship. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and this is the order of words in the Hebrew, in the Greek text. And God was the Word. And God was the Word. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, tabernacled among us, tented among us. That's the Hebrew or the Greek word. Skene, tented among us. Just like in the tabernacle where the Shekinah glory, the glory of God's presence was in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle and later the temple. And we, he tabernacled among us and we beheld his glory 
glory as of the only begotten of the Father. But put yourself in their place. You're a, you're a young man. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, the fishermen, they work for dad. Peter, Andrew, fishermen. All of those guys were blue-collar workers. And God the Son calls them. You are walking in a discipleship relationship with the second person of the Trinity who has become flesh. Now, folks, let's say you, that is absolutely a fixed thing in your mind. You're not doubting that. But still, me? 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 I could see Stephen getting called to something like, or Darren, I, I, me? I know me. I know. I, I understand the concept of mercy, but this is way beyond mercy. <laughs> this isn't just forgiveness. This is an elevation. I'm invited into the supper table of the creator of all things. I am walking the streets and the paths in the mountains and the deserts with God the Son become flesh. The chapter before Matthew 18, Matthew 17, James and John and Peter go up on a mountain and Jesus, it's called the transfiguration, his glory, the, that human flesh that, you know, he was, high, he was behind the, the, he was in the holy place. There was that veil that shielded of his humanity, his human flesh that veiled his glory. And that veil was lifted. And they're looking at Jesus and he is radiating light. And then Moses and Elijah appear. And they're speaking with Jesus. You're a Hebrew. Who are you, your two, other than Jesus, who are your two biggest historic heroes? Moses and Elijah. And here they are conversing with Jesus. And I'm sorry, I get it when Peter says, as dumb as it turned out to be, hey, Lord Jesus, let us make tabernacles, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And a great light cloud came over, and God the Father spoke. And those three men, James, John, and Peter, hit, their, hit the dirt, face down in the dirt. This, referring to Jesus, is my beloved Son. Listen to him. Don't even think about putting Moses and Elijah on the same level as my son. <laughs> and when they got up, Moses and Elijah are gone. The glory had been lifted from Jesus or put back behind the veil. <sighs> and here we are. 
the next chapter. And they're coming. They're, I mean, just think about the struggle to get your mind and heart wrapped around the fact this traveling companion of mine is God the Son become flesh. Who am I? Who am I? Who, I'll tell you who you are. You're a little one. You're a child. You're a babe. That God is lifted up. That God is lifted up. One of the things we need to know culturally, we, in our culture, treasure children. The whole concept of childhood being a time of real nurture, when we need to be serving the needs of our children, came out of God's Word. It is really a Christian concept. The whole concept of childhood as this time of nurturing, training, came out after the gospel spread. Even in the Jewish culture, I would dare say they had a more biblical view of how to serve their children. But folks, in most of the world's cultures, children were just little people. When are they going to get big enough to help us out here in the fields? When are they going to get big enough to... Children were viewed as a burden. And yeah, we have to serve their needs. <sighs> How quick is this going to end? That was the standard human culture around the world. Other than where cultures had been impacted by God's word. And so when they come to him with the question, at that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? There's a parallel passage where they've just gotten word, Jesus and his disciples, that John the Baptist had been put to death by Herod Antipas. And Jesus says, Jesus spends some time actually elevating John the Baptist. What a marvelous, wonderful servant he was. And then he ends with this statement, which I still have a hard time getting my mind wrapped around. What, by the way, what kind of a servant was John the Baptist? John the Baptist walked away from a comfortable lifestyle. He was the son of a priest. He went out to the desert, to the wilderness area. He wore camel's hair. He didn't wear the nice clothing of the cultured. He wore camel. He wore the kind of clothing you would wear if the enemy had invaded your country and stole every article of clothing you had. He was covered with camel hair. He's out in the wilderness as if he's in hiding from the enemy, and he is eating locusts and whatever honey he can find. His lifestyle was of Israel in judgment but he was the herald for Jesus. This was a man who humbled himself. He deliberately embraced a lifestyle that would, was suitable to the herald of the coming king. He was actually modeling in his lifestyle Israel under judgment, and Jesus would come eating and drinking and having a good time with his disciples and other people. He's modeling kingdom glory. 
And yet, at the close of Jesus explaining all of these, the wonder, what a wonderful person John was, what a great sir, he then concludes with these words, but he was least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. <laughs> what? What's he saying? If you are more of a servant than even John the Baptist, then you will have greater accolades than even John the Baptist. It's hard to get your mind wrapped around being more of a servant than that man. But that's what Jesus said. And here the the apostles are coming and saying, who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst and said, assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted, change your whole outlook, the whole way in which you view life and do life, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Earlier, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. What's the very first thing Jesus says? We have eight Beatitudes, eight blessings that begin the Sermon on the Mount. What's the first one? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When you, want, when you approach the holy God who owns all things, You come to him, if you want a welcome in his kingdom, you want a place in that kingdom, you come with empty pockets, (laughs) you come with a to-do list that's blank, you've got nothing to offer him except your poverty. And what is God's response when we come with empty pockets and a total failure of our works? Welcome! The kingdom of heaven is yours! Wait a minute, I just told you how disqualified I am to be welcomed by you. And he said, yeah, that's the qualification, to be welcomed. Because it's mercy. It's grace. It's not your performance. It's mercy. It's not getting what you deserve and grace giving what you getting what you don't deserve. Welcome. And that's really a, a parallel with what he says here. How can I, the disciples, how can we who is the person who's come going to step into the greatest inheritance, the most magnificent wealth that the kingdom has to offer. What are the traits that will characterize that person? And he brings a child out, a person that has no claims to anything. They've never done anything. They don't have, any, they don't have a bank account. They have absolutely nothing to offer. And God's, and what does Jesus say? Become like a little child. that's startling. That is contrary to every religion, every other religion on the planet. 
every other religion on the planet is what's your performance? Jesus says you abandon your performance in favor of my Father's mercy, my Father's grace. You come as a little child. You got absolutely nothing to bring. And I love that song, nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. You come in that way, and you get the embrace, glad embrace of God. He's not giving them an answer they were expecting. (laughs) Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives... One little child like this in my name receives me. Oh, by the way, since God serves little children, those who have nothing to bring, I would suggest to you that you have the same outlook and look for the people who can supply things to you the least, those who in fact might drain your pocket, those who in fact might drain you of, use your time, You serve them. You serve them. You serve them. The ones that the world says, oh, don't fool around with those people. Who is it, for example, in India with the caste system where you've got all these people who are literally worshipped at the top of the caste system down to the untouchables who aren't even in any caste. that are, They're literally considered non-persons in Hindu culture. Who is it that ran to the gospel in India when it first started being, it was the untouchables. It was those who had been told all of their lives how worthless they were. And the gospel came to them and said, oh, you are worth so much to God that he gave his son to create a welcome and glory for you. Glory for you. Whoever, <clears throat> whoever receives <clears throat> one little child like this in my name receives me. This is, should be the core of what your ministry, your service to me looks like as you're serving those who can't pay you back. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. You harm one of these little ones and you poked God straight in the eye. You don't want to poke God in the eye. That gets his attention faster than anything you can do, but it's not the sort of attention you would particularly want. It would be better for him to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses must come. We are in in an environment of sin, so it's unavoidable, but woe to the one. There is personal responsibility even in that. Woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses must come, but woe to the man, that man by whom the offense comes. If your hand or foot, how, how adamant 
Should you be in dealing with the sin issues in your life? I don't care what price it costs you to avoid sin. You pay that price because it's going to be less than the price sin will charge you. And here Jesus is actually repeating what he's already taught them in the Sermon on the Mount. Yes, repetition is the price of learning. Jesus wasn't afraid to repeat himself. And believe me, (laughs) these guys and we need to hear it over and over. Folks, the, the principles for a, an authentic walk, a good walk in his kingdom, aren't that many. But we're such difficult, we're, we have such a difficult learning curve that he has to keep repeating it to us. And I'm so grateful because I got it no more together than these guys did. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you, for it is better to enter into life lame or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. Now, it only takes about 60 seconds of meditation on that. Wait a minute. My problem isn't my hands. My problem isn't my feet. My problem isn't my eye. My problem is my heart. And that's the... Conclusion Jesus expected us to come to. Wait a minute. I can cut off both hands and it won't help me. I can pluck out both eyes and it won't help me. I can... My problem is my heart, my fallen nature, and I can't even reach that. With my dying breath, that will still be resident with me. Then what do I do? I recognize that and I say, oh, Lord, So enable me by the power of your Holy Spirit that I am able to step away from the power of my fallen nature, my sinful nature, and walk in the power provided by the Holy Spirit who resides in me. In the upper room, Jesus will say to the eleven, Judas Iscariot is left, the Holy Spirit who has been with you will be in you. And then he goes on and talks in John 15 about them bearing fruit, such fruit as they had never been able to bear before. Why? Because now the Holy Spirit dwells within you. And yes, your fallen nature is still there, but you have the greater power of the Holy Spirit in whom you can walk. And I know I'm talking to people that are going to amen. You don't have to amen. Every time you are confronted with an opportunity to serve God, your fallen nature is over there campaigning for why you should not do that. (laughs) And then as an act of obedience and trust, you obey God, you believe him in it, and you just defeated your sinful nature. You just defeated your sinful nature. And thank you, Lord, when he yanks us out of our shoes or out of our graves, he's going to also yank the fallen nature out of us, throw it away, and we will stand before him in his presence without any restraint from him because our fallen nature will have been thrown, yanked out and thrown away. I'm for that. (laughs) I can't wait. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you, for it is better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. And folks, don't forget, there is a consequence to rejecting God's mercy and grace. 
And I have to confess to you, I have not emphasized this nearly as much as I should have in my own sharing of the gospel with people. There is a consequence. There is a hell to flee. And then verse 10, he's amplifying. Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. Don't you dare define them based on the world system in which you dwell that says, oh, they're just a drain on my time. They're a drain on my energy. I have to feed and clothe and house these little kids. And the beggar at the side of the street, oh, why would I waste my time? Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven their angels always see my Father's face, the face of my Father who is in heaven. Let me tell you something, folks. When God created Adam, when Jesus, God the Son, created Adam out of the dust, he was made in the image of God. We have value in God's eyes because we bear his image. And every single descendant of Adam and Eve bears God's image. We have value, infinite value, before him because we bear his image. Right now we're hearing about all these black lives matter, Asian lives matter, white lives We all matter because we bear God's image. That is where our value comes from. And we are to look at every single human being as a child, as a potential child of God, and we are to serve their needs. We are to serve their needs. Jesus tells the account, and by the way, it's stated as an actual event, not a made-up story, of a beggar by the name of Lazarus, not the Lazarus who would later be resurrected, but Lazarus was the, a beggar who sat outside the door for a long, 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 long time of a wealthy man, of a wealthy family. And he was a beggar, and he died. And he went to Abraham's bosom, paradise. And the rich young man died. And he went to torments. And he's over there in torments thirsty with an unendurable thirst. And he can see over into Abraham's bosom, into paradise, and he sees Abraham and Abraham's arms wrapped around Lazarus, the man who had been the beggar before his door for years. Abraham, Abraham, send Lazarus over here just to put a drop of water on my parched tongue. First answer of Abraham, excuse me, yeah, Abraham, <laughs> I wouldn't if I could. But even so, there is a chasm between us so that I can't even if I wanted to. Then please, 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 please send him back from the dead so he can warn my father and my brothers. And what does Abraham say? If they will not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they hear the one rises from the dead. They don't lack proof now. They've got all the evidence they need now. What are they going to do with it? 
we hope, I think Abraham might add, it won't be what you did, which was nothing. That rich man should have been serving Lazarus, the beggar. He chose not to. A proof of authentic relationship with God is that we are servants of those who can't pay us back ever. Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. God looks with these people, the child, the beggars. He has a special heart for them. They always, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. That's why I've come, to serve the children. Oh, by the way, my disciples, your children. <laughs> your children. I've come to serve you. That's why I called you. For the Son of Man has come to save that which is lost. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? His heart goes out to that one lost sheep. And if he could find and if he should find it, assuredly I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the ninety-nine that did not go astray. That's not to say he disregards the 99, but he revels in the fact that he was able to rescue. Does God like, does God rejoice in that event when you came to faith? Why did you come to faith? And I don't know everybody's story here, so I'm just making an assumption here. Those of you who are authentically in the kingdom, how did you get there? Because you were a lost sheep and Jesus the shepherd. Yes, there may have been a Sunday school teacher or a parent or some other person there explaining the gospel to you, but there was also an unseen presence who was giving you the heart to believe. And you may have been sitting side by side with somebody who didn't, who heard the same words, heard the same promises, heard the same declaration. What was the difference? Because the shepherd reached inside and gave you light and life. And that is the reason why anyone who is in the kingdom is in the kingdom. The ultimate evangelist wasn't Billy Graham. And Billy Graham, by the way, would be saying, Amen! Amen! The ultimate evangelist, gospeler, is God himself. And again, repetition is the price of learning, James chapter 1, of his God's own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Why? So that he might revel in us. We are trophies of his mercy, trophies of his grace. And so ought we to seek out, by God's guidance, seek out those children, those who can do nothing in return for our service to them. Seek them out and become their servants. Let's pray together. Our Lord, 
the disciples, I would dare say, got an unexpected message. But it's the truth. The more here in this opportunity you've given us, in this place, the more we are servants, the more when we are brought into your kingdom, the closer we will be to you at the master table in the banquet in your palace. The greater will be our reward. And it is not according to earth's standards. It is according to heaven's standards that we are governed and judged and elevated and welcomed. We give you all the thanks. And I am praying for myself as well as anybody else in this room that you will enable us to hear and to walk in what the Holy Spirit confronted us with today out of his word. We ask this of you, good shepherd Jesus, and all God's people said, amen. Yes, sir. Sure.